Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. My, my voice got pretty high there. <clears throat> hello and welcome. There we go. That's better. Anyways, hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Brady Josephson, your host. And today we are talking with Colin McIntosh. He is the CEO and founder at Sheets and Giggles, a sustainable bedding company building sheets out of eucalyptus. He talks a lot about that, actually, and kind of what led him to that. He talks about his entrepreneurial journey and how he didn't set out to create a bedding company necessarily, but learning from past failures, how to create the business that he wanted and then kind of found his way into bedding, which is interesting. We talk a lot about his funding model. He actually raised over $200,000 in 30 days on Indiegogo, and it didn't just happen. He talks a lot about their approach and their preparation, which I think is really interesting, and there's some application to nonprofits and fundraising. And then we talk about their decision to give back and how they plant a tree for purchases and uh, 1% equity pledge and things like that why he chose to do that and what type of organizations they choose to partner with. So pretty interesting guy and a pretty interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. I said, welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. Hi, Colin. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for uh, hosting. So we're going to have a kind of wide, wide-ranging chat about a bunch of different things in your company, Sheets and Giggles. But I'd love to know, where did the idea to, to do a betting company come from in the first place? Uh, that's a question I get a lot. Um, <laughs> it's actually... <laughs> so uh, for those that don't know Sheets and Giggles, we make uh, bed sheets out of a fabric called Eucalyptus Lyocell, which is the most sustainable fabric in the world. You can call them Eucalyptus Sheets for short. Um, and we started the company in October, 2017. When I say we, I mean me alone in my bed, in a bathrobe, uh, <laughs> I incorporated, uh, the first LLC for the company back then. And basically the idea was born, uh, actually kind of the reverse way that a lot of entrepreneurs begin a company. I think a lot of entrepreneurs will begin by saying, okay, well, I perceive this problem. Let me go ahead and build this solution. And then let me try to build a business model around that solution. And with me, it was the exact opposite. I built a business model that I was extremely passionate about. Um, and then I created a product that fit into that model. Mm-hmm. And then I launched uh, the company and the product. And so basically, uh, what I mean by that is, I sat down and I wrote out my perfect business model that I had uh, learned from my last company, which unfortunately was a failure. I wasn't the CEO, I was just on the founding team. And we all got laid off at 1 p.m. On a, on a Monday. And this is very difficult. We were, you know, we had 30 people. We had raised millions of dollars. We were uh, nationwide retail. It was a wearable technology product that was uh, meant to save lives. It was kind of like a 21st century life alert mm-hmm. for young women uh, to fight sexual assault and violence. So it was a really fantastic mission-driven company. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out for a number of reasons. And so I sat down uh, in September 2017, and I just wrote out, all right, well, that was really tough. Uh, I'm either going to go work at Amazon in Seattle and forget the startup nonsense and get a nice <laughs> paycheck in healthcare and forget about uh, living you know, below my means, um, or I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction and start my own company where I'm actually the founder and CEO. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote out my exact business model that I wanted. I wanted a massive commodities market 
with zero brand differentiation or loyalty that was highly fragmented with no clear market leader that I had to chip away at. Uh, and that was mostly a product that was sold in physical retail stores so I could bring it online with a direct-to-consumer model. Hmm. And then I also wanted something that was uh, very sustainable so that way I could feel really good about the work that we were doing and have an mm-hmm. impact along the way. Uh, and then I wanted to build a business that would give back as a function of doing business. If we were successful, other people would be successful as well hmm. by virtue of our success. Um, and I knew it had to be a crowdfunded business. I wanted to be very low complexity supply chain. And what I mean by low complexity is anybody out there that's thinking like, I can do bed sheets. It's very complex. It's just relatively lower complexity to like a Bluetooth, uh, you know, firmware, software. Sure. Exactly. Product. And so uh, basically I sat down with, and I swear mm-hmm. to God, I can't make this up, my list of domain names that I own. I own a lot of dot coms. And I own sheetsgiggles.com. <laughs> I thought it would be a funny name for a bedsheets company at some point in time. Uh, and I said, does bedsheets fit my criteria? And it was like an exact match. Huh. $12, billion, $12 billion market, growing 10% year over year. Totally undifferentiated. Everybody's selling the same exact cotton, all, all made in China. Um, you know, all, uh, you know, poly, maybe polyester in some cases for 20 bucks a sheet set, 30 mm-hmm. bucks a sheet mm-hmm. set. Uh, oil-based synthetics, number one source of microplastics in the ocean. It's polyester, microfiber. Um, and so I was just totally taken with this industry very quickly. Mm. And and the 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 clincher for me was how boring all the brands in the space were. I mean, mm. I was looking at like, no, no offense to some of my competitors, <laughs> but I was looking at all the, you know, hot online betting companies. And I looked at their Instagram pages and I, everybody listening, go look at Brooklinen, Bowling Branches and Parachutes Instagram pages. You will literally not like if you like did like the 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 three hat juggle thing and like said which picture is which company you literally couldn't tell (laughs) a difference. Um, And so I basically was like, you know, this is a huge opportunity for me to make a differentiated brand in a a very um, boring space Hmm. with a sustainable product in a space that doesn't have very sustainable products. And so I had the perfect brand name, the perfect brand archetype was going to be a Jester Rebel hybrid, and I basically. Uh, incorporated the company three weeks after I got laid off. Hmm. And uh, we did our crowdfund in May 2018 and ended up being the largest crowdfund ever uh, on Indiegogo for the betting category, uh, $284,000 crowdfunded. And then we launched totally revenue funded uh, in April 2018. We began shipping our first products. And now it's been just under 18 months since then. And uh, we have now shipped tens of thousands of units um, on just our website and yeah. on Amazon. So that's kind of the full story yeah. of how we got here. Cool. Well, I want to dive in a little bit more on the the fundraising side, and then I know some of the you know value alignment. But one of the interesting things there is, uh, especially on the nonprofit side, so many people and uh, missions are just so passion-oriented, right? So I had assumed that you had like this burning <laughs> passion for sheets, you know? That's how a lot of entrepreneurs are, That's how, especially in the nonprofit that's, space, right? I care. Yeah. That's how I got into it. I cared about international development, so I focus on international development. But yeah. Passion is great, but it can get you in a lot of trouble, right? You put on these blinders yes. and you, just, you care so yes. much. So it's interesting about yes. your approach to say, I'm going to stand back from what the product actually is and just yes. think about what I want. That's really, really interesting. Well, and I had guardrails on it, right? I wanted a sustainable, ethically made. Right. It's not um, anything. Right, 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 exactly. And so it was more of like, 
I'm very, and don't get me wrong, I'm very passionate about sustainability, climate change. That's why I chose the vertical in terms of the, the mission that I wanted right, to do. Right, but not better. But exactly, exactly. And I think that that's the core yeah. differ, differentiator between me and a lot of other entrepreneurs. And then I, I've tried to really proselytize this like approach to people is like, not to get like a, from a prideful or hubristic standpoint of like, do what I'm doing, but like more of, you know, exactly what you said. I know people, and it was, it was very fueled by my last company where mm-hmm. I saw some of my best friends work 18 hour days for yeah. three, three, four years of their life. Um, just, I, I used to go home with anxiety and just throw yeah. up from the stress, pull my hair out. And, and we were trying to do something really audacious. We were trying to end sexual assault and violence with right. a piece of wearable technology. And we got some good traction. We were in target Brookstone. We did deals with HSN QVC. We were in T-Mobile stores. We were you know, on bestbuy.com, uh, we had a lot of partners and, and we were, you know, doing decently well in some regards. Um, and that product, we sent out 60,000 alerts, like we saved lives. It was really fantastic. But the stress mm. of trying to make that business model work, mm. when looking back, you can kind of see things like, you know, well, the margins weren't, weren't, mm well enough, you know, oh, we didn't have a good enough recurring model for lifetime revenue to be mm-hmm. profitable. And like there were, there were certain things that um, maybe you, you think you can fix in the moment and you think that you can right. blow, build through, but that, you know, the, the much more powerful way to do it is to start a company with a financial model and a business plan from the ground up that you firmly believe and are very passionate about is a scalable, sustainable yeah. and profitable business. And then you know, you can have your idea of what the product should be ahead of that. But like, before you ever spend a single iota of time on the product, you've got to make sure your business model is locked. Hey, Brady here. I hope you're enjoying the conversation with Colin. Uh, Afterwards, I asked Colin, hey, you know what? Your sheets sound pretty cool. I wonder if uh, you could hook us up with a little bit of a discount. And he said, sure. So if you're interested in trying out the Sheets and Giggles Sheets or you're looking for some bedding yourself, you can actually save 15% off your order by using the code NEXTAFTER at sheetsgiggles.com. That's promo code NEXTAFTER at sheetsgiggles.com. You'll get this great bedding, sustainable, save water, give back, give it a shot. So you mentioned how you went the crowdfunding route uh, to kind of get the company off the ground. One, why did you choose the crowdfunding route and why did you choose Indiegogo? Uh, so the crowdfunding route specifically was because I, <laughs> this is no, no offense to my lovely investors who have given me money and I love them all and they're fantastic <laughs> people, but I, can I curse on this podcast? Sure. I fucking hate the, the investment venture capital, uh, game, <laughs> not the people, not the field, not the sure. profession. I think that that is like a very, um, noble thing that a lot of people do. There are fantastic people in the investor game, many of whom I know. Um, and it's a great way to make a living and, and help people out and help people start companies in the process. But the game, the venture game of, you know, always being, always raising money, always mm-hmm. looking for mm-hmm. that next cash infusion, always trying to go from pre-seed to seed, to mm-hmm. seed plus, to series A, to series B, like it never stops. You continually dilute 20% of the company at a time, 30% mm-hmm. of the company at a time. And for the most part, the companies don't succeed. I mean, you're talking about VC math. If they invest in 30 companies, 
they don't care if 27 go under as long as three of them return the fund. Right, right. right. And, and if three of them return the fund, then they just tripled the fund. And how they got to their, you know, 3x over seven year period IRR, um, no one cares. And mm-hmm. so, the, and so it's not, and, and I mean, they, they care, like they, the companies are human beings sure. and they have CEOs they, they, give, they give a damn about. So they care, but at the same time, yeah. it's just a numbers game. And so I knew I, I didn't want to get on that treadmill again. Um, and so I knew, and also from a practical standpoint, I was starting a betting company based off of a pun. Uh, and so, and so, and <laughs> Sign so me up. to be, to be a little, a little, yeah. salt, to be a little more or a little less holier than thou and a little more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think an investor would give me the time of day. Right. Uh, in fact, I had, I had one of my buddies who is an investor say, what the hell are you doing? Like, <laughs> he was, I was like, and so it wasn't, you know, I, I was convinced of the model. I was, I was, yeah. anybody who heard me talk about it would hear me say, no, 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 look, it's a $12 billion market. It's highly fragmented. There's no comp, there's no differentiation. There's no brand differentiation. There's no stickiness. There's no loyalty. Like you can, you know, I was like, I, and I was really, really passionate about this business model. Um, but I knew that I had to prove out my, what I was saying basically. Yeah. And so I knew that I had done a crowdfund before in April, 20, 2017. Um, I had uh, learned the mechanisms of specifically Indiegogo, so I was familiar with the platform. Gotcha. And I basically decided that I was going to try to do a six-figure crowdfund. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my goal was $100,000. Uh, Over what time period? Uh, 30 days. 30 days. Uh, and we ended up doing 204 in 30 days and 284 in 45. Awesome. Uh, and so that was... Uh, that was my goal. Uh, we worked really hard on it. We, we were maniacal in our preparation. Um, what was some of that pre- pre- preparation? Uh, what, what did you do? Yeah, I could talk about crowdfunding all day long. Um, and by the way, the reason I chose Indiegogo over Kickstarter, just for people listening, is like, this is a whole podcast in itself on, on crowdfunding. But Indiegogo versus Kickstarter, there's pros and cons. Kickstarter has about 3x the organic traffic of Indiegogo, so you can get more, uh, more views, more impressions, more sales. Kickstarter is not geared as much, as well towards selling as Indiegogo is. Indiegogo has like perks and mm. variant options, colors, sizes, like so. You can, it's like a more of a traditional checkout process, right? Right. Um, and mm. then also uh, there's less competition on Indiegogo, so I knew that in the home category, I was very confident that there were so there were so few products being launched every day, and by few I mean there were still like you know a couple dozen mm. um, every day. But compared to Kickstarter, it was totally different. Right. Um, I was confident that I could get to the homepage of Indiegogo uh, much more so than I was about Kickstarter. Yeah. And then, in, and then in hindsight, I'm actually happy that we even even though we crushed it, if we had been on Kickstarter, we could have done like a million dollars. So in hindsight, I'm like, damn, maybe I should have done Kickstarter because uh, there are some things I'll tell you in a second that would have gone the same way regardless. Like our first day, that was all preparation. Uh, we did forty five thousand dollars in our first day. That was mm-hmm. all all preparation, all email list. Um, and but on Kickstarter, the problem with that is that if I had done a million bucks in pre sales, there's no way I would have been <laughs> able to fulfilled. fulfill a million dollars worth of orders <laughs> yeah. in you know the time frame that we were hoping to do. So we were we were thirty one days late with our fulfillment timeline already. Right. With the amount of orders that we got in Indiegogo, <laughs> so imagine if it was it would have been yeah. months, right? Yeah. And and so I'm actually glad about that because it allowed the brand to 
hmm. retain uh, a really pristine image. Yeah, interesting. So in any case, uh, the preparation, I, lo- I love talking about this because I think that people listening should be able to get some uh, level of like enthusiasm or encouragement to like do their own crowdfund from this because it is, it is quite formulaic. Um, and one and one or two senses, the, the the content piece, the brand piece, the product piece. I can't help you with that. Like that's you know that's entirely on you, the founder. Sure. But in terms of goal setting and working from A to B to C to get to where you need to be, let's say you want to do a hundred thousand dollar campaign. That means that in the first twenty four hours, you want thirty thousand dollars because the way the math works, you need thirty percent of your first of your entire goal in the first 24 hours, the way the crowdfunding math works. Hmm. And that means that Is we that because it like boosts you up in the rankings? Exactly. Yeah, okay. so, you get more visibility, you get more traffic. So it's a number of things. They reward people for how quickly they hit their goals. Hmm. And then they also reward you for total order volume. And they also reward you for, uh, you know, blowing past your goal if you blow past it. So mm-hmm. our internal goal was 100,000. We actually set it at 50,000. Yeah. Because I, I thought that we could that. hit that. I thought we could hit that in a, in a few days. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize we'd almost hit it in the first day. In fact, if I could go back in time, I would make our goal 25,000. So we would hit, you know, almost two exit in the low first day. It, yeah. Now the problem with setting it too low at five or 10 or 15,000 is that let's say you actually need a hundred thousand dollars to operate. Yeah. And you set it at 15 and you do 22 or you do 35. People might say, well, Hey, you did 50% more than your goal. Or you did yeah. two times your goal. Where's my product? And then you were you about to explain to them, oh, I was banking on <laughs> yeah. it yeah. being a much more... So that's not a very good argument. So in any well, case... I, I know on the, the fundraising side, uh, conversion rate goes in half after you reach your goal. Like People will still give, but people are less likely to give once you're so far past your goal. Hmm. There's different, what I learned is that there's different people that will fund at different times. Sure. Yeah. So, so the people that are going to those sites are more likely to fund you before you hit your goal. So the organic traffic that you're getting, there are people that are actively going to Indiegogo.com or Kickstarter.com and finding really cool things to fund. Yeah. There are people getting emails from them saying, check out this new project and going into it. They're awesome people. Crowdfunders Mm -hmm. are, are incredible people. Um, but there are, is another subset of people, and you, this is why you need to be very adept at performance marketing as well ahead of time, um, who will buy from you only after you hit your goal mm-hmm. because they want to be assured Trust. that they're getting they're something. Yeah. Exactly. And there's also a herd mentality to it too, sure. where they say, oh, a bunch of people have already funded this company. Right. Now I'm it going must to be, yeah. it. Must, it must be valid. It must be good. Yeah. Um, and so that is also a certain subset of people who are mostly Facebook customers. So they're mostly mm-hmm. people that are that you can advertise to um, on Facebook for more of like a general... Right. At, at that point, they're they're not investors as much as they're customers, right? Exactly. Like, I want to buy these cool sheets, whereas the early people are like, ooh, what a neat idea. I what a neat idea. What a, cool, what a yeah. cool company. What a cool dude. Like right. whatever, whatever they're thinking. Right. So in any case, uh, working backwards from the goal, let's say it's $100,000. You yes. need 30,000 $30, on day one. If you have a $70 product... And let's say you assume the average person is going to buy 1.5 units. That means your average order value is going to be $100, give or take. Mm-hmm. Your average order value is $100. And you need $30,000 on day one. That means you need 300 customers on day one. Mm-hmm. Period. End of story. That's what you need. So if an email list reasonably converts at about 3%, which it does, 
2% if you're doing something bad, 4% if you're doing something well, 1% if you're terrible, 5% if you're amazing. Then you need 10,000 emails in order to guarantee that you're going to get 300 customers from that 10,000 person email list. And so that is exactly what we did. We literally put our blinders on. We started work in February 2018 on gathering this email list ahead of a May 1st launch. And we basically said, fantastic. We are going to uh, advertise people on Facebook, uh, early adopter, crowdfunding lookalike audiences. I hired a crowdfunding agency named Russell Marketing. Shout out to Will Russell. He's the man to help me with this. Uh, everybody in the audience, be very careful about working with any other crowdfunding agency because there's a lot of sharks in the space preying mm. off of people's most optimistic predictions. Mm. Um, and uh, basically, we ran 50 different ad variants, 12 different landing pages, tried to figure out how to best capture emails, what the value proposition should be, you know, uh, price lock-in versus feature lock-in versus, you know, whatever it is. And we ended up figuring out uh, how to capture, uh, and it was just, the, honestly, it was the brand and the value proposition that we were making. Mm-hmm. We captured 45.5% of emails over the course of eight weeks from visitors Whoa. that, yeah, it was a crazy amount and like absurd. And uh, we ended up getting uh, 11,000 emails in eight weeks ahead of launch. Mm. And then that list converted at about 4%, 4.5% on day one. And we got 450 customers for $45,000 on day one. We were the number two trending project on Indiegogo. Uh, Interestingly, we actually made more money than the number one trending product on Indiegogo, Mm. but they had a lower goal, like a $10,000 goal. They did Mm. like 35K. So they were like 350% funded. And we Mm. were like, less than hundred percent funded with a $50,000 goal, which is like so dumb. I don't, I don't know what Indiegogo is doing. Um, with regards to the algorithm in terms of like rewarding what, right. But, um, that was, uh, that was huge for us. And that snowballed Mm. us into, um, a really successful crowdfund best 30 years of of my professional career. Wow. That's cool. Uh, there's, there's a lot of parallels, some obviously key differences between, you know, the nonprofit side and the the for-profit side, but email acquisition, email Uh nurture, Uh conversion Uh through email, value proposition, like there's so many parallels, right? Why would people sign up for a crappy newsletter? You have to have something to offer, (laughs) you know, why would someone give? You need them to ask and building towards a campaign, right? It takes progress and planning and people always say, oh, they raised so much money on this crowdfunding campaign or this nonprofit raised so much and they just think it happens. And it's like, no, no. you worked all the way back. You wild, built a plan, wild you invested in it, right? It's yeah. just, it uh, takes we, so much effort. I, you know, we, and, and it takes effort. It doesn't necessarily take a lot of money. Like we did, we did our photo shoot, first photo shoot, me and a bunch of my friends for $500 all in. We did uh, a video shoot, a guy I knew who I trusted, who was a really good videographer, recommended by a buddy. Um, he did our video shoot for $3,000 all in. Um, I, did, I delivered the script. I wrote the script. Right. Uh, you know, like, it was a really great video shoot. That video has propelled us for a long time. Um, so, you know, it, overall, like, it's been, it's, it's, it was a pretty affordable launch. You know, we spent, before, before I launched the company, I had spent maybe... Uh, uh, before I launched Indiegogo, uh, we had spent like thirty five hundred bucks, four thousand dollars on like uh, preparation for the advertising for email mm-hmm. capture. And after that first week, when we captured emails at like a thirty five, thirty six percent clip, mm-hmm. that was when I turned on the the spend. Where I was like, all right, now we're going to spend you know 
however much money we need to get to 10,000 yeah. emails. And that was only after how we validated the brand. Mm-hmm. If, if people had, if people had signed up at a 1% rate or, you know, if we're not interested, um, I would have had to pull the plug or go back to the drawing board, but I would have only been out, you know, four or 5,000. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a lot of money, but it's, but it's also not 50. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's the important for me is validating your, your brand and your market approach before you go to market. Yeah. And it's how you structure or how you should structure your advertising budget, right? Is it right. Structure some so that you get enough right. to validate and run some right. kind of tests on what the offer is. And then, then never pour, pour the gas on the fire when it's right. ready to go. You don't just dump it all out at once, Correct. Uh, you know, willy nilly or, or without testing it. So that's, that's another great comparable. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit more uh, about kind of how you give back. Right. Okay. So, you know, we're a nonprofit podcast. You guys give back. You have, uh, you know, aligned co- company and cultural values. So I'm interested in kind of how you've gone about that and then maybe how you choose the nonprofits that, that you would support. So can you share more about your kind of giving back and, and generosity side of the yeah. company? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we do a few things that I really love. Uh, first and foremost, we donate every, every order that we get. We, we plant a tree somewhere in the U.S. that needs a, a reforestation. Generally speaking, those trees go to Colorado, California, Oregon, and Florida. And do you have uh, a, a like a nonprofit partner for that do. program? You know, one tree planted by any chance? Yeah, I just yeah. added them to a research study today. Actually, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah, they're yeah. great. So we so we do we actually do it where it's uh once a year uh, we like we just we just started doing it this way because we're our order volume got to the point where it wasn't scalable to keep doing this like uh, weekly or monthly, but like once a year we add up all the orders we got last year and then we just make a big donation to mm-hmm. one tree planted. So I've, I've got the, the actually the order total from last year. I was just diving into this with my accounting team this week. So on Amazon um, and then on our website, it's going to wind up being, it's going to wind up being about, about 20,000 trees for last year. Awesome. In terms of orders. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. And so then what, what's that relationship like with One Tree Planted? Do you tell them, you know, do you got some agreement in place or do you say, no, it's just, it's, it's just, just kind of like you choose them as your, I choose them. I, I mean, we, we, they promoted us out. They put us in blog posts. They like, they like us. We like them. We, we promoted them to other people. Um, I wish we could do some stuff more closely. Like I, like I, uh, think it would be cool if they, uh, you know, wanted to do more PR together and that sort of thing. Hmm. But that's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I have such conflicting emotions with this stuff. Like I don't, I don't really, I, I want to be, I want the company to be recognized for stuff, good, good stuff that we do. Like, you know, tens of thousands of trees is like not nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly not, you know, millions of trees, uh, but it, but it is uh, a drop in the ocean, which I think is very important. Um, other things that we do, like we, we listen, something, so let me go through a few things. There's the one tree planted. Number two is that we do donations to the homeless. So we do bedding donations to homeless shelters. Sheets and blankets are the number two most required things in mm. homeless shelters. Yeah, it's a natural fit, uh, sure. Yep. We give people 10% off their order if they can send us a selfie and saying, proving to us that they donated their old sheets, um, which is great because that way people can get rid of their sheets without throwing them away as long as they're in good condition. Somebody yeah. gets a set of sheets that they can use and then somebody gets 10% off their order. Really good marketing technique as well as a good way to give back. Um, and then we also uh, were a 1% company, so Pledge 1%, uh, which I really love Pledge 1%. My buddy Matt Zweibel there, shout out to Matt. Um, 
basically what we do is we do, we pledge to donate one percent of our um, profits, equity, and time to uh, local Colorado charities. Hmm. Um, and so what that means in effect is that we are volunteering. Our team is. Uh, a few days a year where we'll do tree plants and we'll do uh, food pantries and, and, and cafes and that sort of thing. It means we also donate uh, our money uh, to those trees in Colorado that we're planting. Uh, and then it also means that uh, we haven't chosen the charities yet, but if we ever do exit, 1% of our equity is pledged to Colorado charities. And we would choose those charities at that point in time. Hmm. Uh, they were just whatever, whichever ones we want to give it to. But basically, uh, let's say we exit for $100 million, which would be amazing, life-changing for me, life-changing for my employees, um, very good return for my investors. Uh, it would also give a million dollars approximately to local Colorado charities, mm-hmm. uh, just like that. And, and I think that that is really cool. Where we're, I kind of like, from the very beginning, I set up these donation and these give back uh, pieces as like, no, I don't want to be cliche and be like it's in the DNA or the fabric of the company or whatever. The fabric of the company is a good one for <laughs> bed sheets. Pun intended. But yeah. pun intended. But but more of like uh, it's. I don't even think of it part of like the fabric of the company. It's part of our variable cost structure, hmm. and I think that that is that is very important. Where like you know there, there's no board meeting or or investor conversation I could have where somebody's going to say you should cut this out because I'll just say no. That's just like shipping or freight or duties or whatever. It's just part of our variable cost structure. And I, and we, and we budgeted to make that work. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, when we were talking off air, we said the, um, the the beauty of the variable cost structure is when you succeed, everyone succeeds, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're struggling, then, you know, it's less. And I think everyone kind of understands, uh, and you know, it's, it's easy to give from a place of success and win, win, win. Right. So it's a great model. I think we were talking about passion earlier, uh, and I think that one of the things that people get caught up in is if you're not successful, you can't really help anyone, at least not at scale. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that is something that I, I really have taken to heart where it's like, you know, it, you have to be as successful as possible. And, um, you know, frankly, and I don't want to get too political here, but you, you need to make as much money as possible because someone who may have the antithesis of your worldview uh, is also trying to make as much money as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and our you know, political system, uh, it all comes down to who has the most money, mm. uh, which is disgusting. But it is a reality, and I think that it's something that needs to change, and I hope it does change one day. But um, that means that you have a real opportunity to change the world if you can make a little bit of money. And so, you know, for example, one of the things that we already do on a local level is we're a founding member of an organization called Good Business Colorado. Shout out to Good Business Colorado. It's a group of uh, progressive business owners that lobby for progressive policies in Colorado from a uh, business owner's standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had a great meeting last week with uh, our, our Senate majority leader, uh, the Democratic Party, sat down with him had a great meeting, lobbied for a few things that are important to me. I'm going to speak, uh, hopefully, uh, and give testimony on the House floor um, sometime in April uh, for an issue that's coming up that I'm passionate about. Um, Colorado just abolished the death penalty last week, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Uh, he was he 
Alec Garnett, shout out to that dude. He uh, led the effort in the Senate uh, to abolish death penalty in Colorado just last week. Really mm-hmm. amazing. Um, and so in any case, nothing too political again, but uh, I think that it's also about like how as a business owner you can use that to like advance your own worldview and hopefully it's like a positive worldview that's helping helping people and we you know we we save our you know our sheets are made uh 96% less water than cotton approximately uh 30% less energy approximately uh you know no pesticides no insecticides uh cotton by itself uses about 16 to 24% of the world's insecticides uh which is crazy when you think about the volume just for one crop uh, and so that's, uh, these are things that like every sheet set that we sell, we save, a, we estimate about a thousand gallons of water compared uh-huh. to cotton sheet, cotton sheet production. And that's literally five years of the average person's drinking water. And so that means, yeah, we've saved hundreds of thousands of years, yeah. um, of drinking water. And so like, there's, there's a, there's a real tangible impact the business has. And, and that's one of the things I love about it. And we listened to our customers, you know, our customers said, Hey, you know, we know that you don't harvest eucalyptus trees from Australia. We source them in biodiverse farms that are managed with NGOs. Um, but they said, uh, you know, we, we want you to do something with, uh, what's happening with Australian wildfires. Mm-hmm. And so we donated 20% of our black Friday weekend sales, 20% of our sales, which was a big, it was like 20 grand, uh, I think it was like 17 to, uh, that we donated to uh, koalas uh, in Australia to help them recover from the wildfires. Mm. And then, you know, our customers emailed us and they said, hey, you know, we love your company, we love your packaging, we love your product, but you're still using a piece of recyclable plastic in the packaging. Why do you have that? And we said, well, it's to prevent water damage during shipping because I believe that Americans are kind of selfish and that they will freak out if their sheets are damaged during shipping more so than they care about the plastic use. Um, that was my initial hypothesis. And I was really worried about the company having damage during transit because you can't trust FedEx or UPS. And our customers said, no, we don't care about that. We don't care about that. Take out the plastic from the package. And so we did. And so Mm. the last, you know, 10,000 pieces or so have shipped with zero plastic in the Mm. packaging. And, and I think that that's something as well that like, we're not perfect and we don't try to present ourselves as perfect or as, you know, people that are, are, very self-righteous about this is part of the, one of the reasons why I love the brand because it's like a very playful, fun brand that happens to be sustainable and premium. Um, but it's not uh, something that like we uh, try to present as like deathly serious to people because right. I think that that's kind of overplayed. I think yeah, that yeah. like the doom and gloom is like not a not a great uh, motivating factor for a lot of people. Whereas mm-hmm. we take the perspective of these are sustainable products. But more importantly, they're actually better products. They're more mm-hmm. premium. They're softer. They're more breathable, more durable. Um, and so we we really take that approach um, from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, sorry, I'm just babbling on now about the, the <laughs> no, no, that's good. Um, I'm sure we could talk a ton more about you know the fundraising side and what you're learning, how to scale your business. So maybe we'll have to you know have you back on. But for now, <laughs> that's that's going to be it for today. Where where can people learn more about you and uh, and your work? Uh, I'm just really easy to find. You just search for Colin uh, Sheets and Giggles or uh, if you go to at Sheets Giggles on social media, no and in the URL or the or the uh, social 
handles. And then my, uh, all my social handles personally are Colin D Macintosh, I think. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm really easy to find Colin sheets and giggles. You'll find me on LinkedIn. Great. Well, we'll, uh, we'll be sure to send out those links again. So thank you so much for your work and taking time to come and share more about your experience. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Brady. Thanks for letting me, uh, like talk at you for the last 30 minutes. I appreciate it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com. That's podcast at nextafter.com. And if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening.